The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning, good morning, good morning. We're broadcasting this morning from uh, very, very wet California. It is still raining here. Um, don't know whether <laughs> we'll be underwater by the end of the show, but we'll do our best. So let me just start off today by saying hats off to the California Association of Licensed Investigators and the, Cal- and the Criminal Defense Investigators Training Council and the training team for the fantastic five-day in-depth criminal training that um, was held here in California, in San Jose, California, uh, uh, two weeks ago. I want to specifically mention... Brandon and Brad Perrin from Florida, um, the training team that came out from there and joined with the California folks to put on this program. And then congratulations to the NALI uh, Association, National Association of Licensed Investigators. They held their midwinter conference in San Diego the same week, and they had a wonderful educational curriculum and national director, uh, Don Johnson, and the conference chair, George Michael Newman. Well done, guys. Really well done on both counts. And I want to welcome today my good friend, Lester Rosen. Les has been a guest on this show several times. He's had so much to offer to those who do workplace investigations. So let me just give you a quick summary before I let him talk. Um, he's, a, he's an attorney. He's a licensed private investigator. He's the chief executive officer of a company called Employment Re- Screening Resources, ESR. ESR is a national screening firm. And it's accredited by a group called the National Association of Professional Background Screeners. And this is uh, an association that he was a founding member, the first chairperson of the steering committee. And they offer uh, an accreditation. And it's held, that distinction is held, uh, one of the few that's held by by ESR. So... um, He's also a speaker. He speaks on the Fair Credit Reporting Act across the country, and uh, and most importantly, probably, he's the author of the Safe Hiring Manual. Manual. If you want to get it, you can get it on Amazon. The Safe Hiring Manual: The Complete Guide to Employment Screening Background Checks for Employers, Recruiters, and Job Seekers. He has a new edition coming out, maybe out already. He'll talk about it. And um, welcome. That's a mouthful. Let's welcome to the show. <laughs> Francie, thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Good morning, everybody, and thank you very much for having me today. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So tell us, um, tell us what employers need to know about a potential employee. 
Well, that's a that's a great starting question because you let's go back to basics. Uh, employers uh, hire folks um, uh, only when they need an additional person. Uh, otherwise, you wouldn't spend money at, uh, needlessly on salary. So every everyone you hire or retain represents a person that is being hired in order to promote whatever business or, or service that that you're offering. Uh, at the same time. Not only does every employee allow you to um, to to grow your business or offer your your business or service, same time every single offer, every single employee you make is also potentially your single biggest source of liability. Uh, every time you hire, it's a bit of a leap of faith, uh, or sometimes a game of Russian roulette. Because if you hire the right person, uh, th- that will make your organization grow and prosper. And if you hire the wrong person, it can have the opposite effect. Uh, that could create a legal and financial nightmare, and you can find yourself having to terminate, find yourself losing clients, find yourself the subject of negligent hiring lawsuits, workplace violence, um, and just the parade of horribles go on and on and on. So uh, this is uh, big stakes every time you hire, and it's uh, one of the most critical decisions that an employer can make is, is to hire the right person. Uh, every time you have to hire. And background checks is a um, one part of that, but one critical part of the due diligence that employers need to exercise uh, to make sure that you're hiring the best and that you can pay attention to your business and not have to be uh, derailed by um, personnel, HR issues, or lawsuits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and when you think about it, you're actually hiring this person to represent you, to stand in your shoes. So, so you do have to be careful. Oh, that's right. I mean, every single person you hire, I mean, it'd be analogous to um, going down to the uh, main street in your town or city and going up to a total stranger and, and talking to a complete stranger for a few minutes, and if they sound reasonable and act reasonable, you uh, say, well, here's the keys to my house. Come inside my house anytime you want. Now, there's a term for that. It's called insanity. No one would do that, right? <laughs> but yet, there are, there are businesses who essentially do the same thing. You might have a business who, you look at the resume, you look at uh, and, and listen to the person in an interview, and, and they look reasonable, they sound reasonable. Okay, fine. I'm going to give you the keys not to my house, but I'm going to give you the keys to my business life. And what does an employee have? They have access to your goods, your services, your your assets, your clients. They could have access to your proprietary information, your customer list, your uh, you know the credit card information, your clients, whatever business you're in, and, and you're essentially handing the keys of the kingdom uh, to a total stranger. So there's a lot of tools, obviously, that are out there I mean, in terms of best hiring practices, and there's a lot of recommendations that we make before you even get to the background check, but the background check is sort of the, the icing on the cake. It's sort of the last thing the employer does just to uh, exercise due diligence and to make absolutely certain that they're hiring the uh, right person uh, that is op- occupying the right seat, uh, doing the right thing. They have the requisite knowledge, skills, abilities, and more importantly, that you're hiring a person who who, who gets what your organization's about and what you want to do and what you're trying to do and has the skills and the experience and the ability to do it. So For it's sure. all part of a, of a big hiring ecosystem. And, and the our particular piece of that is the final piece is the background screening piece that comes in after you've gone through all the other processes. You've uh, uh, obtained uh, applications or resumes, however you do it, paper now more electronically. You go through progressive screening. You go through the interviews. You go through whatever process you're going through. We're sort of that final, that final check and balance to make sure 
that uh, mm-hmm. you haven't been lied to, or there's not something uh, lurking out there that uh, you really need to know about. For sure. Now, you mentioned um, less negligent hiring. What? Tell us what that is. Well, every employer has a duty of reasonable care. I mean, negligence simply means that you act in a reasonable fashion. So it's similar to negligent driving. If you go down the street and uh, you change lanes and don't signal and you speed and you've gone, you've exceeded or not met the duty of care uh, that everyone is entitled to expect that you operate under, taking into account foreseeable risk to others. So as an employer... You can be sued for negligent hiring if you hire someone who is unsafe, unqualified, who is violent, who is a uh, uh, dishonest, uh, and you hire that person. And if that person causes some sort of harm, I don't, you don't know what kind of harm, but it's foreseeable that the wrong hire could cause harm. Um, you can get sued for negligent hiring. You can also get sued for negligent retention if you keep a person you know you shouldn't, or mm-hmm. negligent training or negligent supervision. Uh, and that is a serious threat to employers. Now, some people argue whether or not there are really that many negligent hiring lawsuits, but certainly the threat of negligent hiring lawsuits is uh, is something that we need, need to take care of. And the important point, Francie, is that most employers, I mean, unless you're the HR director for organized crime, usually, you know, being violent or dishonest or you know are, are not essential functions of the job. I mean, that's usually not in the job description. So, so how is that employers face this type of problem? Well, it's not because you're knowingly hiring people that are, are dangerous or unqualified, unsuitable or unfit. It's that you're hiring people uh, where you either knew or should have known. And it's the should have known part that uh, get employers in trouble. So if you hire someone that you should have known was unsuitable or dangerous or unqualified, and, and, and some harm occurs or embezzlement or child molest, and I think I've seen a whole range of things mm-hmm. uh, where, where really horrible things have happened. And, and sometimes even not so horrible, just you just have just a really bad employee that sets you back. Um, mm-hmm. You can get sued. And mm-hmm. so that's another reason why... Um, you know, my, my favorite saying is pay now or pay later. So you pay a few bucks now to do due diligence or you pay a whole lot more later if you, you know, are the victim sure. of a really bad decision. So extreme example would be, say, you somebody had uh, sexual assault somehow in their background. Maybe it was, I mean, I know there's uh, year requirements, but uh, maybe a long time ago and you hire them and one of your employees gets assaulted. That would be an extreme Absolute, example. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm an expert witness in a number of cases across the country, and all sorts of scenarios where um, you know, workplace violence, sexual assaults, uh, oftentimes workplace homicides, uh, and where a a person was hired and and had the hiring process arguably that's what the people are arguing about uh, been better. Had they uh, you know looked at the criminal record? Had they? done just a little bit more due diligence. And I'm not talking about doing an FBI background check or a CIA background check. No one can do that. I mean, even the FBI and the CIA don't get it right all the time. But mm-hmm. the obligation on an employer um, is to exercise due diligence, is to have a process that's reasonably designed uh, to unearth uh, potentially dangerous, unfit, uh, unsuitable employees. And so, yeah, you hire someone uh, who has a history of violence and you didn't bother to check and it, it could have easily been found uh, as part of a standard due diligence search, well, you know, the, the jury's going to look at you and say, hey, you had the opportunity, the duty, the resources, you're the employer. Uh, right. you, you Seriously, you couldn't bother to, to spend five minutes checking? And then, you, you know, <laughs> you used to say, right. you know, on the old Lucy show, you have a lot of explaining to do. Essentially, you're the company's the parent. 
the parent's supposed to do the job of of checking people out and keeping their keeping their other employees safe and their customers safe. Yeah, in a way, that's very true, and it also depends on the employer. So if you're an employer that in any way, shape, or form serves a, a population that's particularly vulnerable, so you work with, with children, for example, you work with uh, an, old, an elderly or an older population, an infirmed population, a population that's challenged, uh, you're a, a charitable organization, a church, or a youth league, an athletic league, uh, where uh, you know, parents uh, have some sort of faith or belief you're taking care of their kids. Uh, those type of employers, or you run a security company and you put a uniform on people, uh, any time you're in a situation where there's uh, additional vulnerability or, or yeah. someone might drop their guard, the, the obligation is even greater. But, yes, absolutely, if you're an employer, uh, you know, in my experience, juries assume that employers will – you know, spend a certain amount of time and energy to, to make sure that you're going through at least the basics to protect the workplace. And so that's where good hiring practices, including background checks, come in. Right, right. And, and what's involved, Les? What, where do you start with the background check? Well, where you really start, interestingly enough, is way before background check. And so we tell employers that uh, if a background check reveals to you something that's derogatory or inconsistent, uh, then you have a bigger problem. That means you, your, your hiring practices in the first place uh, need to take a look. So we, we tell people the most important tools in good hiring is having a, a solid application that's, that's reviewed. Uh, every time I get involved in a case where you know, a crime has occurred, I, I first look at the application, and nine out of ten times the application was a sure sign that you were just hiring a lawsuit waiting to happen. Uh, really? There's certain interview, yeah, oh yeah, and, and it, it, without without fail, uh, in, in almost every situation where there's a, a workplace homicide or a sexual assault, um, the the roots started much earlier than the, than the failure to do the right background check. It, you can trace it back to a failure in the hiring process, just hiring without really thinking about it, without looking at the application, without asking some appropriate interview questions we recommend without without contacting past employers to verify whether uh, the person actually worked where they said they worked or the employers actually exist. Um, and, and not having a well-written job description uh, that clearly outlined the essential functions. And so once, when an employer does all that, then the background check usually confirms a, a good hiring decision. We don't mm-hmm. find we we've, we find a lot less instances of uh, of inconsistencies or, or hidden information or negative information uh, from an employer that really takes a lot of care when they hire. Um, we we get we get a higher hit rate for employers that haven't really nailed down their system as much. So well, that's where that's where we tell people to start. Can you can you give some examples of of things that have gone awry? Oh sure. So so basically, uh, I remember one case where I was an expert witness where uh, this was a few years back. This was before the, the current trend of what we call ban the box, which is where you can't ask about criminal records uh, up front. Uh, but before ban the box, I recall a case where a major metropolitan school district had a teacher who had a uh, very serious sexual assault. I mean, you know, mm. just a stomach churning sexual assault. Uh, in one state, moved to another state and, and was mm-hmm. able to get a teaching license because that discipline in the old state was still pending. 
went and applied for a school district, and on the application that asked about a criminal record where it said yes or no, he put the X in between, didn't say yes or no. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and, no one, and no one bothered to look, and it was just business as usual. It was just processed through, and, uh, and of course, the oftentimes passes prologue, and so uh, this guy uh, did a horrible, horrible sexual offense against a defenseless uh, a minor who was an individual that, that had uh, mental and physical challenges. And then in the new state, uh, the person once again, um, uh, the case came about because he was once again sexually harassing and molesting uh, kids in the new school. And had the uh, the school district, I'm not going to name any names, obviously, but had looked at right. the application, asked a couple of questions, uh, asked some due diligence questions of the uh, teacher, uh, maybe made a phone call or two, um, it wouldn't have happened, or, or, or in your neck of the woods over in Oakland, California, years ago, I was an expert in a case where a, um, a carpet cleaner um, uh, came into a woman's house. Mm, was a, I remember a, that a, case. A local, yeah, I mean, she was a pediatric physician, a, a beloved member of the community. Uh, there was an argument over a carpet. He strangled her to death, and, and it turned mm-hmm. out that a criminal record check in that case uh, would probably not have revealed that he had just got out of prison uh, doing a 15-year sentence for armed bank robbery, and that has to do with the intricacies of criminal record checks, the time involved, the location, the court. There was just a lot of technical reasons that probably wouldn't have come up. But it turned out had the employer just you know got on the phone and you know just called the three references, one of the references never heard of the guy, and the other two were were made up and didn't exist. Oh wow! So we. Yeah, we do tell employers that you have to start by doing the basics. You know, just don't, uh, you can trust people. I mean, you know, but you have to verify as, as the old political saying goes. And then on top of that, you know, it's a, you know, background checks are these days, they're quick, they're easy, they are, uh, really, uh, you know, quite honestly, very inexpensive. They I mean, mm-hmm. you, is by, by two o'clock on a person's first day at work, you've more than covered the cost of a background check in terms of, you know, what you're mm-hmm. paying the person. And, uh, boy, you just get one bad hire, um, and, and then there's hell to pay. And, um, and, and, and your insurance, by the way, you know, probably won't help you because you are sued. You may be sued for punitive damages, which insurance doesn't cover. So your people are going to your – your workplace will be upset. You'll get dinged in the press. Um, people will be diverted having to deal with the lawsuit. And, uh, you know, the old saying from the old movie, to pay the $2. None of that would have happened right. yeah. uh, with a little due diligence, and and and, and frankly, sometimes it can, if it, it it could if it does happen, because you know sometimes, like I said, you, you can do the best job in the world, and sometimes things come through. Uh, you you um, have the best defense that is possible mm. that you exercise due diligence and and something fell through the cracks, but you did what you're supposed to do. Yeah, for sure. Now you know you you mentioned criminal records and. Um, you know, I have an issue with the <laughs> with the law regarding uh, checking criminal records because we're limited um, in California. I think we, ha- we can only go back seven years. Is that what it is? Uh, well, yeah, there's a big dispute about that, but that's right now. There's, there's an argument that the seven years, a, very, a strong argument, I think. I think it's indisputable that the seven-year rule has been um, preempted by the Federal Fair Care Reporting Act. But on the books, California is is what you what we call a seven-year state, one of 11 or so seven-year states, right? And the, Yeah, and then the feds is 10. Well, actually now the feds, yeah, and that has changed. So the feds were okay. for, for convictions under the FCRA is now unlimited. 
Uh, the EEOC guidance, however, you know, limits you. So basically, I, I think the, the, what what is the uh, issue that a lot of uh, private investigators have around the country is a number of states with limitations. There's also the EEOC that is concerned about uh, the discriminatory impact of the unfettered or the unfiltered use of criminal records, and and it is a serious issue. There's also ban the box, which means you delay the criminal record till later. There's a lot of effort at, the, at what's called the second chance movement, so the ex offenders mm-hmm. have a chance to get back in society and become tax paying law abiding citizens. So there's a, there's a lot happening with criminal records, but I think what what happens. Uh, for, for the point of view of investigators, anyone that has ever been in law enforcement or security, um, you know, public safety, uh, the mindset is the more information the better. There is no information that is off limits. We, we need to know it all. You move in the area of pre-employment screening and you need a different mindset. It's, it's par- you know, with people, I, I use this tired old phrase, it's a paradigm shift. So in the world of pre-employment screening, suddenly, you have to put on artificial blinders. There's things that are out there that in the rational world, a, an investigator with years of experience will say, this, you need to know this. Right. Uh, but the policymakers right. say and legislators say and, and, and uh, say, no, uh, we are going to ignore as a matter of public policy in order to promote full employment and equal opportunity, we're going to ignore certain things. So background screening is... Um, you know, the idea of background checks, we are, you know, all investigators and PIs, we are all familiar with background checks, but pre-employment screening in the employment context is a whole different ballgame. And what a lot of investigators are um, find is that this is an area that is heavily regulated by legislation, yes, litigation, and, and, and regulation. And so background checks for employment uh, more has to do with legal compliance these days than, than, than the obtaining of information. So you're absolutely right. Yes, you uh, in California and in a number of states, you can get sued if you report uh-huh. things uh, that are beyond uh, that are not reportable for a number of reasons. You know, expunged records. Uh, you know, right. as an investigator, yeah. someone had had a, yeah, they had a conviction and it got expunged. Well. It's still in your in the investigator's mind. Well, it's relevant that they have the conviction if they're doing an investigation uh, mm-hmm. for purposes of employment as a matter of public policy. You give an employer an expungement, and you're setting up a lawsuit for both your client and yourself. So well, and it's I a, think it's the, a, the uh, one that really bothers me less is is violent crimes. If if somebody's been convicted of violent crime, in my opinion, in my in their lifetime. They would be a risk now. So, are you saying that that now that could be re- that's unlimited? That could be reported? Or no, still- no. Well, actually, no. So, under the FCRA, there you have to look at all the various laws. So, you start with the the primary law that governs background screening in the United States for employment purposes. And that's the Fair Credit Reporting Act, the FCRA. And under and, and I should add that there, I always try to make this point that there's no investigator exception to the FCRA. Right. Any investigator who does a background check, you're a background company for purposes of a, if it's an employment related check. You, you are you know you are required to understand and follow the FCRA and appropriate state laws, just like a background screening company. Uh, being a, a PI makes no difference. Uh, so under the FCRA, there's, there's a, uh, as of 1998, for... there there's no limit. Yeah, right. there's, there's a, there's a, a term, number can of Can you limits. hear me okay? Huh. Yeah, a term I, I hear you. Yeah. Consumer Reporting Agency. If you're doing a background check for employment, you become your agency, if you're a private investigator, 
uh, becomes a consumer reporting agency. Absolutely, just like that. You magically overnight, the very second you do an <laughs> employment background report, you are now a consumer reporting agency. Whether you know it or not, like that or not, or want to be one or not, you are one. And now, mm-hmm. if you are providing uh, for a fee to a third party information uh, about a, a person for employment purposes, you um, suddenly have to follow a whole library full of laws, rules, regulations uh, that you need to know about. And so that's why it's a very, um, you know, very specialized area. But but so, but back to your question on uh, the criminal on the violent record. Was mm-hmm. that you were asking yeah, about right. that? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it and that's absolutely true. There are occasions uh, for those people that are doing background checks. It happens every so often that you may come across a violent crime, but it's absolutely clear uh, that because of the age of the crime, you cannot report it. And there are situations where a background firm will purposely sit on something because you have to. Um, not very often, but it, that can occur. That's where the pedal hits the metal because mm-hmm. you've got to follow the law. Mm-hmm. And there are various laws that say there are limits and there are certain limitations and things you, you can't report. So, uh, you know, a person may have committed a violent crime, but if that crime got expunged or they got some sort of pardon or a judicial set-aside, depending upon the state you're in, that can't be reported. It may be relevant in your mind as an investigator, but it's not, as a matter of public policy, it's not relevant for employment purposes, or it, it might be too old. The, the prime example is right here in the Bay Area, in, in the uh, city and county of San Francisco. Yeah, I, I mean, this is not only do we win World Series every other year, for, for the most part, <laughs> but uh, we also have a, a law, a ban-the-box law, and it's the most extreme form in the country. Uh, the, are the San Francisco ban the box law, and this is just an example of where things can be, you know, might be heading or could be heading. Um, under the San Francisco ban the box law, if you're a covered entity, 20 or more employees, um, you could, for example, be running a, uh, uh, um, it, you know, a, 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 a shelter for battered women, uh, and if someone, because they, San Francisco changed the definition of the of the California seven year rule, you could. And this is more than theoretical. You can have someone who just got out of prison yesterday for rape uh, that occurred more than seven years ago, and in San Francisco, an employer cannot ask about it, use it, discover it, know about it, or, or have that affect their opinion in any way. And it's just um, really nuts. Um, and, um, you know, that's just the way it is. So what we find happening in San Francisco, then employers are saying, well, you know, if, 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 you're, if, if you're not going to be allowed to have access to criminal records, we're going to look instead at whether a person has been employed continuously without interruption. The idea being if you have continuous employment, then um, you know, chances are you didn't spend a long time in prison. So what happens, of course, is that ex-offenders, who the law was designed to help, uh, are further penalized as are innocent people who lost jobs through no fault of their own. So it's a pretty complex area. And wow. all in all, I, I think we all agree that an ex-offender's uh, really need to get back into the workforce. I mean, we can't spend all our tax money on prisons and jails. We need schools and hospitals. Uh, but that's always the, 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 the problem going on. Where do you draw that line? I mean, there are some, a lot of social science statistics that suggest that there is a point at which a person with a criminal record is no more likely to reoffend than a person without a criminal record. I mean, and that's why when you, when you analyze a criminal record, you look at how serious it is, and you look at the job, you look at the age of the record, and I mean, there's a time where you have to say, look, I mean, that's, that's old enough. Um, you know, is that person really going to be a problem? 
but you're right. The more serious the crime, the, the you know the more problematic it is. Yeah, and you know the the reality is that uh, repeat offenders are typically if somebody gets uh, convicted of murder. Um, and for some reason they're now out of prison, they're not likely to reoffend. where somebody that can, gets convicted of embezzlement, say, for example, is likely to reoffend. So, So you have that kind of problem, too. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Okay, I'm back here with Lester Rosen. A storm came through and blew him off the show, so he's back. And uh, <laughs> we're still talking about background screening and on all the intricacies. So um, we, were t- we were just talking about criminals. So um, one of the things that comes up frequently is that if somebody is a sexual, a sex offender, and they are uh, have to register as a sex offender the rest of their lives, and they're listed on Megan's Law website or another sexual offender website. That cannot be reported if it's over the time limit, correct? Well, that's a really interesting question. So first of all, we start with the premise that there's a job for everyone, but not everyone's entitled to every job. And so okay. it's really important to understand that the, the fact that a person has a criminal record uh, that that a criminal record is a, a big stigma. It's a big red senior forehead, uh, and it's it's hard to get employed. But we do need to get everyone employed. But when you have a you know certain categories of of, of offense, such as a sex offender, registered sex offender, which really creates um, a, a lot of problems, and so they got to be employed somewhere. Um, the, the problem with, with the sex offender is that you could have a situation theoretically, and this is somewhat sometimes debated in the background industry, where a person's 
underlying crime might be beyond a state with a 70-year statute. So federally, you can report it, but you may have a state like uh, 11 states right now, California, Texas, Colorado, a number of others, uh, have, uh, have statutes that say that if a person makes under a certain amount of money, we're going to protect them by not letting you look at their criminal record beyond seven years. And even that seven years is a funny seven years. It really means, uh, have you been custody-free for seven years? So a person may have been a committed a crime 12 years ago but just got out three years ago, well, the seven years hasn't run. It, it, mm-hmm. it's, you, you have to be custody-free for seven years. And then there's a problem with, as I say, California, Colorado, Texas, those states all have seven-year laws, which, which everyone agrees is preempted and it really has no effect. But, it, it, you know, you don't want to violate state law. But you could have a situation, theoretically, where you have a person with, with, a, with a sex crime that's serious enough to register, because not all sex crimes require registration, uh, but yet the underlying crime can't be reported. Uh, the, the view that many people hold is that you can still report the fact that the person uh, has a current status as being registered. So it's kind of an odd situation. Hmm. Now, in California, there's one additional wrinkle. <laughs> uh, oh, really? California says you cannot use it. Yeah, you cannot use a person's status as being a sex offender to discriminate for purposes of housing or, uh, or, or employment uh, unless you can identify a group at risk. So if you're hiring someone and they're, let's say they're a sex offender, but they're going to, you know, be on a crew in the Sierras uh, in the winter, I, you know, probably it makes no sense to hold that against them. On the other hand, if they're going to be working their kids uh, and you can mm-hmm. identify a group at risk. But that's, that sort of situation is, is, is one of those things where we say, okay, it's, it's time to call a lawyer. Those, those are pretty far and few in between. If they're theoretically possible, and those are the points at which you, you, you call your labor lawyer, generally mm-hmm. speaking, that's not something you, you, you come up against every day. Right, right. So there's a, another controversy besides sex offenders and criminal records, and that's credit reports. Mm-hmm. You talk about that because uh, credit reports have, have been a, a big issue in California running credit reports on um, potential employees. Yeah. So, so credit reports uh, is kind of, I'll give you the, 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 the two-minute uh, kind of quick version. We, we actually uh, advise our clients to think long and hard before using credit reports because it's it's not as useful as you would think. For one thing, the credit report you get, it's a special version. It's an employment credit report. It doesn't have a credit score, so there's no scoring involved, and, right. and it makes sense there isn't because a credit score you know, doesn't tell you how you're going to perform at your job. There's actually a couple studies that suggest people and, and job performance have no relationship to credit reports, so it's not a, a valid predictor of job performance. Um, so it's a special report. It, it doesn't give a credit score. It does give a credit history. It tells you whether a person pays on time and, and what their debt is. And so there could be a, you know, a bona fide reason to run a credit report if you're hiring someone who's in accounting and they're handling lots of money. If you're paying that person 6000 a month and their debt is 8000 a month and you're worried about embezzlement, which is a crime of mode of opportunity and means, um, and that's assuming, of course, the credit report's even accurate. You know, they could have had refinanced their house, and, and the credit report's you know showing two loans where it's really one. So there's a lot of a lot of moving parts here. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the, the the what we tell uh, our clients, you can use credit reports. Number one, there's now about 11 or 12 states. California is one of them. There's, uh, we have a listing on our website. 
where we uh, you know, give all the laws for all the states, where you have to, generally speaking, inform a person why you want their credit report, and then um, so you, and then it also regulates the use of the credit report because it has to be every, every pre-employment tool you use has to be non-discriminatory and a valid predictor of job performance. Uh, and a person has various rights, and you have to change your consent forms because background checks are done. Um, the consent forms and disclosure forms are a big issue. Lots of class action lawsuits if they're not done right. Um, and people make all sorts of mistakes. You know, all you know, lots and lots of. You know, a lot of a lot of people, have, a lot of employers have paid out millions of dollars because they didn't take five minutes to get their forms reviewed. Uh, so credit reports is just another problem with all your forms. So. Uh, our, our take on credit reports for, for employment purposes uh, is that if you're going to use them, uh, you know, have some a good idea in mind as to why you use them. Limit them to jobs where it's clearly relevant. Understand the state law and understand how the FCRA applies. So it, it's one of those things that uh, it, I, I think employers, there's some studies showing that a lot of employers get credit reports, but they use them very sparingly for Positions where you know pretty much everyone would agree you might need. I mean, how embarrassing would it be to have an embezzler, and and a credit report could have prevented that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and so, yeah. is there so a, we, is we there a management handle, handle with caution? Hmm? Yeah. Is there a management level that credit like is it like upper management, say, um, you know, vice presidents and above? Say, for example, that it would be uh, appropriate to run a credit report, or, or does that not exist? Well, there, it really doesn't exist. It's on a case-by-case basis. I, I, th- I think the loss prevention and HR needs to uh, understand, okay, what, what, it's all risk-based, right? So it's all, what can this person do to us? So a uh, person may be in upper management, but they might be VP in charge of marketing. Well, really, a credit report? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, if you have good internal controls in place, what's the worst they can do? Um, you know, charge a couple of expensive meals they shouldn't have, and you would catch that. Uh, on the other hand, if, if it's a VP who has access to uh, fiduciary decisions and access mm-hmm. to your money or, or your CFO, well, there's a stronger case for that. So it's really uh, – a credit report is a kind of a blunt force tool instrument. Uh, it's, just, it's just one indicator among many, and it ought to be used carefully. Uh, and, and there's a lot of litigation about it, a lot of suggestions that it's potentially discriminatory similar to the way criminal records are, are, are criticized. So we, we, we tell people, you know, be very, very careful with the use of credit reports and, yeah. and use them sparingly and, and really think it through. Okay. And, and not so only remember, that, but before you... Hmm? I'm sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. Well, before you, before you even get a credit report, by the way, you have to... The background firm has to do due diligence on, on, on the employer to make sure that it's a legitimate employer. So... Uh, on on-site inspection, so it's 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 a you know a lot of hoops to jump through. Yeah, well, it seems to me like um, years ago when credit reports were being widely used, that it was more used to evaluate the person's resp- uh, responsibility, whether you're responsible or not. You know, if they if their finances were in order, then they were uh, deemed a responsible person. Versus, you know, I mean, if they had a ding here and there, it didn't matter. But that's more what it was used for, as much as to ferret out maybe um, some kind of embezzlement or something like that. Is that true or not? 
Yeah, I think that was some of the thinking from years back. I, I think uh, that thinking has now uh, changed because of the, a lot of the state laws and uh, and also the realization by employers that there's no such thing as the perfect employee. I mean, if, if you try to limit your hiring just to people <laughs> who uh, led, led really well-organized, perfect personal lives, um, there'd be very few people to hire from. So, um, well, you know, the yeah. idea is that it's, it's whether it's a valid predictor of job performance and, uh, you know, that that would be akin to say, well, we want to look at the inside of your house to see if you keep your house neat. I mean, right, so, right. So, so I think now it's really the primary user query reports really has to do more with um, uh, whether a person might be an embezzler and they have access to your a- a- assets or cash. And it's kind of the, it's a little more, we don't see employers now saying, "Well, let's see if your if your if your personal life's in order, because otherwise we can't consider you." And uh, that's that's kind of uh, it becomes sort of you know. I think HR employers have generally settled on the idea that's probably not not valuable anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember when the bill was going through uh, California State Legislature, for, legislature, for example, uh, and this was following the, the uh, economic downturn, probably about 2009 or 10 or so. Uh, the argument that got the bill through the legislature for this was that uh, people in entry-level jobs like housekeepers and janitors were having credit reports run, and that was ridiculous. And of course... You know, my reaction to that when I heard it was nobody's running a credit report on somebody that's going in an entry-level job to begin with because it costs money, and they're not going to do that. But that's how seemed to be how the bill got through. No, I, I agree with you, and um, you're right. I mean, and you can still run credit reports. In fact, the way the California bill came out, every you know, states do it a different way, but in California, the exceptions – uh, you know, they make it depending upon your perspective, either good news or bad news. The the exceptions to the credit report ban are are broader than the or are so broad that as a practical matter, there really is no limitation. Um, you know, for anyone who seriously you would think needs a credit report run. So the the, the law was written in such a way that <laughs> the exceptions are big enough to drive a Mack truck through. But you know, we have people say to us, "Well, we we have a twelve dollar an hour." Uh, Cashiers, we want to do a credit report. Well, why? I, yeah, I, right. I mean, presumably you, you count the cash drawer at the end of the day. If you're missing $20, you'll know about it. Why open up that uh, that whole Pandora's box of legal issues and, and, and the extra expense and have to deal with uh, looking at credit reports you know, for lower income positions where, you know, how, how are you going to hire people? Um, so, anyway, yeah, that, that, the, the credit reports seem to be uh, uh, lessening as a, uh, as a background tool. Mm-hmm. But, but I can mm-hmm. say that, you know, we still see an occasional headline, your credit report, your credit score, rather, can cost you a job. And that's being written by somebody who doesn't not, know what they're talking about because employers don't right. get credit scores. Right, exactly right. That's never been part of the equation at all. Right. For sure. So... Les, let's talk about social media. How does social e- media impact pre-employment screening? Well, social media is, is gaining a lot of attention now, and um, you know, every time there is some sort of attack in this country, there's well, let's look at social media. And um, uh, just last night, there was a news report that maybe visitors of the country will have to share their social media password. 
Um, and um, in the last administration, there was a big emphasis on this thing called CE, continuous evaluation, as a way to combat insider threat. And a big part of that was we're going to check everyone's social media. Well, the reality is if you ever try to check social media, you know, the mm-hmm. analogy is it's, it's like uh, two analogies, like looking in a, in a very, very small needle in, in 10 very large haystacks, or it's like trying to get a sip of water from a fire hose. I mean, there's so much out there to try and find some little snippet of information that gives you uh, uh, a clear red flag is really difficult. I mean, the technology may exist someday. Uh, so right now, it's very problematic. A, a lot of what uh, times people have their information behind passwords. Uh, presumably, if someone you know is, um, you know, in my view, that social media searches, and, and in a lot of states, it's illegal. California, a number of other states, it's illegal to ask someone for their password, or it's also illegal to do shoulder surfing, which is you tell someone, well, go on your on your your social media site, and we'll just look over your shoulder. And, uh, you know, th- those sort of things you can't really do. Um, our take on social media is that, you know, a lot of employers at first thought, well, this is exciting because we're going to be able to, you know, we're not limited just to the interview and, and the uh, resume. We, we can look at who a person really is. We can look inside their brain and not how they present themselves. But in the real world, it turned out to be, uh, not as useful as I think a lot of people thought it might be. There's, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, most people use, if they're, they're gonna say anything, they're gonna put it behind a private, you know, some sort of privacy protection. Um, you know, basically employers who check social media, it's, it's kinda like a drug test. I mean, if you're, if you're too stupid, to be honest, to stay off of drugs for two or three days before taking a, mm-hmm. a drug test, you don't deserve the job. If, mm-hmm. if you say something on the internet in, in such a way that it's clearly you, it could be identified as you, and you say something that's obviously negative, derogatory, demeaning, disparaging, uh, you, know, you know, showing bad judgment. I mean, how stupid can you be? So, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. basically, these social media searches, turns out, it's, um, uh, it, it have been problematic. There's, there's FCRA issues um, having to do with accuracy. Uh, and so it's, it, it, the jury's still out, but... Uh, it seems not to be as valuable as people were thinking. What what problem with social media is that a lot of employers don't understand that even if you're recruiting from social media, uh, you still need to be concerned about TMI, too much information. You may come across a person's race, creed, color, ethnicity, nationality, age, marital status, sexual preference or orientation, whatever, religion, religious garb, um, and, and you can be accused of discrimination and failure to hire. You might violate privacy. Uh, you know, a lot of people think, well, if it's online, it's, it's, uh, anyone can see it. Uh, that's kind of like the, the counter-argument is, well, if you leave your front door unlocked, any burglar has now his invitation to take away your big screen TV. So a lot mm-hmm. of privacy issues to be resolved. Um, so it, it's, we, we do have a lot of suggestions. If employers want to use social media, I could, I could run through a couple of those. Yeah, why don't why don't you uh, give that? Because I think people are oh, very sure. interested yeah. in this area. Yeah. So, if, if an employer, given all that, given that we think it that there's a lot of challenges. I mean, just Google yourself or Google someone you know, and it's a lot of. I mean, there's just a lot of you know white noise on the internet that it's really hard to find the the you know the good stuff you're looking for. Um, but if you're going to use social media as part of a background check, we first of all say do it as late in the process as possible. 
that, uh, so that there's no suggestion or allegation that if you find out impermissible information that it would be could be discriminatory, like race, age, creed, color, you know, all, the, all the prohibited uh, criteria, uh, if you find it late in the process at or after a job offer, um, you, you know, you're, you're not going to use it unfairly, and there's less of an allegation that you used it in a discriminatory way. Uh, whoever is making the hiring decision should not be the person searching social media, so you should have this mm. this wall between the two. You don't want a decision maker looking at unfiltered, unfettered information that may or not may not even be accurate, may, may, may not even be about your person. Um, and that employers who use social media to either recruit or to hire um, you have to have objective metrics. You need to have a, um, you know, not only training when it comes to non-discrimination, but you have to have some sort of metrics, some sort of objective way of looking at these things so you're not, you know, that, that similarly treated, similarly situated people are being treated in a similar fashion so there's no one being discriminated against. Um, so, yeah, we, we just say approach it with caution. The problem with social media is that if you if you really search it by hand, it, it takes hours and hours. If you it search does. it by, you know, some sort of automatic algorithm, um, you can miss stuff. You can have false negatives and false positives. So a person uh, might use uh, a, a term. They might use the word sex, uh, and and they're talking about sex education, but mm-hmm. they've been flagged as a pervert. I mean, that's you know just one example. Right. Uh, right. So you got to be really. You know, just so many things can go wrong, right? And, and like I said, I mean, if someone really is going to say something serious, um, unless they're just idiots, they're going to put it behind passwords and not clearly identify who they are. So, I, you know, someday maybe the technology will be better and, and there will be a, a, a better use of social media. Right now, uh, most uh, when we tell employers or explain to employers all the ins and outs, most employers say, Let's, we're going to rely upon more traditional methods of, of evaluation. Um, I mean, if a person goes on social media and using their own name, they say things that are just dark, raving, crazy, yeah, that would be a concern. So, so anyway, well, we just tell people, yeah. be careful out there. And that brings up a question, signs of the times here. There are There is so much on social media today and in the past few months about uh, taking one side or the other on the political spectrum. Mm-hmm. And so say I'm an employer and I've, I want to hire, I've interviewed this person, I want to hire them, and I go on social media and I find that they have exactly the opposite viewpoint of mine regarding the politics. What would you do with that? Do they have the right not to well, hire that person because of their political viewpoint? That, that, that's actually kind of a tough one. There are some states that have laws that prohibit employers from making higher decisions based upon legal off-duty conduct. And so um, I, I, you know, if I was an employer, I would ask myself, well, I, 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 is that really job-related and a valid prediction of job performance? So if you happen to be an employer for a Republican think tank or a Democratic think tank, well, that might be a bona fide occupational qualification. But mm-hmm. short of that, um, I, I would tell employers that you're taking a big risk hiring based upon a person's personal and private political beliefs where there's no showing that it's going to disrupt the company, make them not able to do the job. Um, you know, it violates a potential zone of privacy. Uh, a good lawyer might be able to fashion a discrimination argument against that. So, 
I, I, I would tell employers, you know, uh, politics stays at home. Um, the question is, can they do the job? Are they part of the team? Um, you know, are, are they going to be successful in that position? So mm-hmm. I, I would uh, be very, very leery of uh, making hiring decisions based on uh, whether or not a person has your politics or not. Well, and but I can I can also see that a, a employer could say, well, I have, I'm going to have to work side by side with along this person, and now I know what how they believe, and it's absolutely you know maybe the maybe the beliefs that are that are exposed on social media are pretty radical. Um, so I can I can see an employer saying, well, I I can't work next to somebody that that believes that way or thinks that way. Well, again, I had to you know it's it's always case by case, but it goes back to basics. Uh, you, you know, as an employer, are you making pre-employment inquiries that are uh, job related? In other words, they're a valid prediction of job performance and non-discriminatory. I mean, there are obviously people have the right to associate with who they want to, and there could be a larger political context. Uh, I'm just saying, uh, if you're going to do that, think about it because there are right. there, 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 yeah. there, there's, there there are repercussions. Um, yeah. you, you, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I work with lots of people and, um, you know, I, whatever my political affiliations are versus theirs, as long as we're all united on the same team with the same goal, uh, we're good to go. And what, how you vote or believe privately once you leave work is up to you. But a background right. screening firm would, would never, ever, uh, be looking at that. I mean, that's way beyond okay. anything that right. we'd be interested in. <laughs> you know, it just seems to be so much in the topic of, of everybody's you know, on everybody's lips these days. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So Les, we're, um, we're down almost at the end of our show here. Can you give us some tips for employers of what they, you know, kind of a step-by-step what they should do if they want to screen their employees? And uh, also if there's a level of employees that should be screened or it should be all of them. Well, yeah. So basically, you know, as as a matter of not discriminating, as a matter of good corporate policy, uh, most employers, I mean, every employer that, that I, I've talked to, they will screen everybody, but not at the same intensity. So obviously, if you're hiring someone in, in a in admin assistant position. Uh, they don't need to be screened as intensely, perhaps, as a VP of finance, but all VPs of finance should be screened the same, and all admin assistants should be screened the same. So essentially, uh, assuming you have good hiring practices, you're at the point where you want to do a background check. You first need to select a background firm. Uh, you mentioned the National Association of Professional Background Screeners. That's the, the umbrella professional organization for background screeners. You want to make sure they belong to that. And, and if they're accredited, that's even better. So you want to make sure you have a good, solid background screening firm that really understands the legal, regulatory, and, and, and the legislative environment uh, and, and legal compliance. Uh, your background firm will set you up. Technically, it's easy to do. It's not very expensive. Uh, you and your background firm can discuss what's a reasonable level of due diligence, you know, basic criminal checks. Uh, do you want the background firm to check education, check employment? So there's a whole, you know, we, we, we provide, you know, hundreds of different services, and so you mm-hmm. tailor it for what's reasonably needed. Uh, you don't want to do too much, but you don't want to do too little. Uh, the the applicant, the way it works now is that uh, using pencil and paper is uh, sort of from the Stone Age. It's all, you know, for the most part, it's electronic. And so uh, your applicant gets electronic evite. Uh, they go to a website and they fill out the appropriate forms. As I said before, these forms are really tricky. So you got to make sure that a lot of legal compliance goes into these yeah. forms. 
fills out the information, and the background firm uh, prepares the report. Uh, if the report's cleared, then that part of it is good to go. If there's something negative or derogatory or inconsistent, uh, and that will be flagged, you then need to look at that. Um, if you decide not to hire the person, they have a and right under the Fair Credit Reporting Act yeah. to pre-adverse Les, and know, post-adverse action being, notices. Hey, Les, we're being cut off. We're, we're totally out of time. I'm so sorry. Okay. Uh, this, uh, Les is from Employment, Re- uh, Employment Resource Employment Screening Resources, ESR.com, if you're interested. Tune in again next week, folks. I'm so sorry, Les, to cut you off like this. Tune in next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators and background screening firms as PIs declassified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to PIs Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.